0: This morning is going to be 2 Kings chapter 3, 2 Kings chapter 3, you'll turn your Bibles there, we'll also be going to other portions, contemporary book of this time is the book of Chronicles, so we will reference some of that when we're developing our characters in this story, but we're in 2 Kings chapter 3, so let's just look to the Lord. In a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for this day. We just ask you to open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from your law. In Lord Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. Alright, so we're here in 2 Kings chapter 3. Now, this has been mentioned before, but why study this? Why even go through a book like this? I mean, you might not even be a person who likes history. A person who likes history, likes looking into battles or maybe looking at how things were hindsight is always twenty twenty. maybe we can change things for the future you might not even like that why even do this well the new testament says that all scripture is given by inspiration of god so if it's god's word or god's inspired does it shouldn't that tell us that we should pay attention right well you know there are people who like to pick and choose what they want to pick and believe and follow in the bible that's how you get cults, right? They, they pick out something like here, and they'll take that verse right here, and that will make their own idea, religion, whatever. But all scripture is given by inspiration, and it's good for four things, to stay right, how to get right, what is wrong, and what to do when I'm caught in that wrong, as it were. That's my own translation, but uh, that is in Timothy. But here we are in Kings, so We're going to look at these real people and the Spirit of the Lord has, through the writer of this book, has written down this story for our learning. So we're going to look at this. We're going to try to go through it as much as we can and we'll look at at least a couple of characters. So we're here in chapter 3 and verse 1 reading. In the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel and Samaria, and he reigned twelve years. So, if you put up uh, my first slide there, Jason, I just have a couple of maps. See, I like when I do these kinds of studies. I like to see where these places are because I can read it, and you know, you read Judah, you read Samaria. So, where we are in our narrative is the ancient land of Israel which was that came out of Egypt. Remember, they were in bondage of Egypt. Uh, God miraculously through Moses and Aaron led them out. They came around through the Arabian desert and they ended up wandering for 40 years because of some sin. But they ended up en- entering into the promised land. This was given, this was promised to Abraham. Now, this is just a small section. Israel today is about, not even that size, but Israel today is about that, like that. But the section that uh, Abraham gave, we'd have to widen this out. It's tremendous. I mean, the world today would, would flip, right? As much as turmoil and as much as focus is given to that land today, if, you, if Israel had the land that God promised them today, you know how many people would be attacking them and just persecution. I mean, just that little strip of land that they have today, there's so much going on. But in any case, God is going to give them that land. And he's going to give it in a great deliverance. But at this time... This is in the book of Kings. Um, they came in there. Joshua conquered the Lord through Joshua conquered. He divided up the land. They ended up wanting to king. They wanted a king. They wanted to be like every other nation. So I'm skipping over judges and that time period. But the first king was Saul and it was united. Then was David. And that David became the model for all good kings after him. From David, we get the promise of the Messiah, which Is very significant. Would you agree? Right, the Lord Jesus Christ came through that line, and then after David came Solomon. Solomon was David's son, but at the end of Solomon's reign, he drifted away from the Lord. He chased after different things, but his the the amount of wives that he has. It says that the women drew his heart away from the uh, the Lord, and what happened was because of that sin, God then rent the kingdom in half but left one tribe to David. And so what you have in the yellow is what was left to David's line. David's family was over Judah. And then you have the rest of them, which followed after this man we will talk about, named Jeroboam, but he's over the kingdom of Israel. So you have the the Israelites, which they were brothers, right? They were a family. They came from the same person, but they were split into two, two different nations. But yet... um, They still were called Israel, but when we come to this, we have Judah, which is there, which is um, loyal to David's line, and Israel, which is in, which is still, actually, the Bible says, is still in rebellion to David, but eventually they're going to be brought back. So we have this this man, Jehoram. He is Ahab's son. Two weeks ago, we covered Ahab. And if you just mention that name, I'm sure anybody would think of, you start associating with him evil. You might think of my Carmel, right? And Elijah and the prophets of Baal and the fire coming down. So Ahab uh was was not a good king. He he made some poor choices. He and you know what I find this fascinating. Really, it's not fascinating because it's really our God, right? We just heard that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He displayed that person who wrote that verse, he displayed the reason he was uh That God saved him. You know what he says? He says God might display in me His perfect patience. This man, by all definition today, was a terrorist. He tortured. He went into Christians' homes. He dragged them out, and he put them in prison and whatever else. He hated Jesus Christ. Yet when you read this guy, he becomes now. This is Paul, of course. I'm talking about. He's the he's the champion now for God's gospel. What in the world happened to this person? A change of life, a change of heart and a change of direction. That's exactly what the gospel does to you. That's exactly what Christ Jesus can do in your life. You know, I meet so many people in my job, they're walking in all different directions. They have no idea where they're going. And and when you talk to them, well, some, you know, some are very um, antagonistic towards God because of some event in their life. Tragic, tragic event. Some people say, you know, logically, it just does not make sense that there's a God out there. But then when you start talking to them, they don't even know what's going on. So then, well, how can you tell me it's not logical? But you know what? The gospel is what God offers is the only thing that can change a person's life. Now, you know, we want to focus in on, you know, the great things and the blessings of being allied with God. The real issue is, is that sin comes with a penalty. Right. And. These people back here, you read about their stories, very tragic, but sin comes with a penalty and there's a cost to it. You just can't do it without having something come back to you. It says that in the word of God, the ultimate payment or the wages for sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so. What Paul says is that he is the object of God's perfect patience. And so when you come to these kinds of stories, you wonder, man, why does God even suffer with these wicked people? Why has he allowed them just to continue? Why is he allowed me right when I when I mess up? But you know what? He's a very long suffering. He's a very patient God. And the way he's dealing with people then is, you know, he might in a different way, but he's still the same God. He's the same. It says that you can't see it. But Jesus Christ, the son of God, is the same yesterday, today and forever. And you know how, you know, if you just get a hold of that, that no matter what situation I'm in, Jesus Christ is going to act the same as this the first day that you were saved and you met him until that time. He's not going to act any differently, any differently. And so this person, um, Ahab, was not a good person. But his son seems to follow suit, but look at this what he says. he says he did evil in the sight of the Lord, though not like his father and mother, for he put away the pillar of Baal, Baal that his father made and so the first thing we read about this man Jehoram is that he what he did evil we're going to find out how, but not like his father and mother. His father of course was Ahab, we just mentioned his mother was jezebel she was not Jezebel was not a um, a child of Israel, she was a foreigner, but Ahab, against the word of the Lord, went out and married this foreigner, and what she introduced to him, into his life, was this worship of this foreign deity, right, this false god named Baal. Now, he's also, he's mentioned, there's others that are mentioned, um, Milkon and things like that, but Baal seems to be very prevalent, um, he was introduced from the, from the nations around. But what he says, he says, you know what? We're not going to fall after that. And he ends up cutting that pillar down. Now, whether he learned his lesson from observing his father, I don't know. Remember, there was somebody after him. That was king um, Ahaziah, but he did not reign that long. So Jehoram was actually after him. So he's not the direct uh, uh, as far as in line after Ahab. But something maybe was made aware of him that following after Baal really angered the Lord. But it says this. Look at this. Nevertheless, he clung to the sin of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. And he did not depart from it. Now, if you ever read through um, as you're reading through Kings and Chronicles, either one, first, second. Of Kings and First and Second Chronicles, you often will get that phrase. You get two of them, really. He did like his father David. Now, when you come in the in 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 the Word of God, it uses that son and father. Now, my father Malcolm, I'm his son, but my son, we would call him my dad. That would Milo would be his grandson. But in the Word of God, it uses that term son as well. So Milo would be his son, but really it's not his direct son. So a lot of the sons of David, right? His grand, 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 great, 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 great children. He became the model. They did not do like David. But on the flip side, this man Jeroboam becomes the negative that they did like him. They clung to the sin of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Now, maybe you've looked into this. Maybe you haven't. We did cover it at one point. But I just would like to read what what is the big deal about this sin that Jeroboam set up at this time of 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 the split. Now, Jason, go one slide further. I also want to no actually, not, not yet. Um, at the time of the split, the, the 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 area that Israel David conquered, a lot of people, everything you see, Moab, Edom, down here this is of course, this is only this area, but it went all the way down to the, um, the river where they came across actually from Egypt, Ammon uh, Amram, Damascus, and some of the Syrian uh, parts, David and the Philistine states, David conquered a lot, and really God delivered a lot of that land over him. But see now look at where it 's at because of the sin and, and, and getting away from the Lord. God then starts sectioning off their land. But at the time of the split, um, this man Jeroboam was anointed king and he was told follow after me and really he was in exile he wasn't even it wasn't that he was a warlord and he came in and conquered uh uh solomon and brokered a truce with him to break up the empire and and solomon did this for his own preservation wasn't anything like that the man was living in egypt in exile and he was brought back and god anointed him to be king because he was going to split the nation in half and Jeroboam, after he was established as king, you know what he decides to do. Look at this in 1 Kings. Maybe you don't have to look. I'll just read a few verses. This is 1 Kings 12:25. It says, then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country and then Edom and lived there. And he went out from there to, and built Pennywell. And Jeroboam said in his heart, now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. And the people will offer up sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem. And the heart of these people will turn back to their Lord or the king to Rehoboam, the king of Jerusalem, uh, king of Judah. And they will kill me and return to to Rehoboam, the king of Judah. So the the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, you have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold, your gods, O Israel, who have brought you out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel and he set and he put one in Dan. And this thing became a sin for the people who went as far as Dan to be uh, before one, and he made temples in high places and appointed priests among the people who were not Levites. So what we have here is this guy says, you know what, now that I'm established, it's God that gave it to me, I'm going to depart from that. I'm going to establish my own religion. And really, you can see this guy was not in tune with who God was, but he decides to start up his own religion. So here you have Israel... Dan was all the way in the north and Bethel all the way in the bottom. So he sets up two centers of relig- uh, worship, as it were, at the end of his kingdom. Both ends. Why? Because he doesn't want people to go back to, to Judah. And you might think, well, you know what? That, that might make sense in the human intellect because that's where they came from. And the center of worship was Jerusalem. It was God that brought them out of Egypt. It was God that commanded them. Uh, had a certain way and and form that they were supposed to worship and what they were supposed to do with the sacrifices, he departs from that. Very first thing that he does. Look at the thing he sets up, the calves. What does that make you think of? Remember when they were marching through the desert? Moses went out 40 days. Well, where's the Lord? It's been 40 days. This man Moses, where is he? We don't have no idea where he is. Well, they... They contracted Aaron to make them a god. You know what he made? He says, well, this is what he says. He, he took all their, their earrings and their necklaces and whatnot. and He, he says, he, this is what he tells Moses, he threw it in the fire and out popped this, this golden calf. Now, that's pretty silly, but he had intentions in forming something just the same way Jeroboam did. The same thing that they did in that desert, years later, they're back at it worshiping again. Does that sound like human nature to you? Going back. To the same things that you came out of. Now, that's what they, a lot of times they say. They I, actually, no, it's not. It's what Ecclesiastes we studied that not long ago. Everything is a cycle. Nothing new, nothing new. And you say, what is the big deal with wor- what, what he did? We have it today. We do have it today. Now, Jeroboam was not a believer. These are unbelievers. So unbelievers are setting up centers of worship in their own heart. You know what? I don't. Jeroboam had a knowledge of who God was. He had a direct contact with God's messenger who anointed him as king. And everything that he told him happened. So he knew who God was. He knew it was God that established him to be king. But he said in his heart that, you know what? God's program in this person who who gave me this this uh, who gave me this kingdom. No. I'm gonna do things my own way. And he ends up setting his own center of worship and his own way of worshiping, departing from the Lord. And really that Uh, that sin of Jeroboam, those calves, existed even after they were gone. It was Josiah who was prophesied at that time. Josiah was several years down the road, which was the king of Judah, that he was going to come and eradicate that system. He was going to destroy everything, but they were already deported as a nation, and uh, they were already gone. So the kings in that time, they clung to that sin. Now, whether it was because it was the convenience. You know, sometimes you do think so much, you start thinking that it's the truth, right? If you can tell a lie long enough, it becomes true. So whether it's because they grew up and they said, well, we just worship in, in Dan and we worship in Bethel. Those are, the, those are our gods. The, you know, Our fathers did it in the desert, right? They might have left out the part that 3,000 of them died, right? They might have left that out. But in any case, the sin of Jeroboam, it, it plagued... The remaining kings and these kings weren't even sons as David's before the line in Judah were were traced their lineage to David. Israel is quite that we see today, or at least that kingdom, uh, very war uh, warlord type. Right. A general. Then actually, we just heard about it in the news. Right. There was a, a coup attempt uh, from in, in Turkey, but that was like how it was then. Right. A general would overthrow a king, he'd kill him, kill all his sons, and then that general would take over, or that warlord, and then he would become king and maybe a few of his sons, and then another general would take over. Very, uh, uh, very, uh, very troubling there. But in any case, the sin of Jeroboam becomes a snare to Israel. And God all this whole time... Now, we don't know how it would have worked out, right? Because they were very different, and, all, and often they fought, right? There was a lot of essentially civil wars between the two. They were the same people, but they fought each other a lot throughout their history. But in any case, God did not command Jeroboam to do that. They still were to worship in Jerusalem. They still were to worship there in the temple. But this sin of Jeroboam plagues the rest of those kings that come after that system was set up. Now it says here in verse four, now Misha the king of Moab was a sheep breeder and he used to deliver... To the king of Israel, 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. Now, Jason, go to the next one, and then really quick. This red line, what I drew, I kind of mentioned it. At the time of Solomon, his his economic hold, you would say, because David conquered a lot of these people. When David came in and conquered these other nations, he set up deputy kings, and he set up garrisons. It says he, he established garrisons. So at the time, you could see when Solomon was reigning, it, the Israel really commanded a lot of territory here, including this all the way down to Ed, almost uh, to the river where Egypt uh, begins. But at the time that we're in, it's, been sh- it's shrunken down. But go to one more over. At this time, Edom is still uh, paying tribute to, to Judah. At, at the end, where Jehoshaphat is um, anointed king, in, in the end of First Kings, it says that a deputy king Was king in Edom. What that means is the same thing we think of the deputy today, the sheriff deputy, right? The sheriff is the one that upholds the law. The deputy is commissioned to be his arm out there in the field, right? They're the ones that's supposed to uphold the law, the deputy. And so they, he did set up some kind of puppet government, obviously that would be uh, loyal to Edom and, uh, loyal to Judah, excuse me. So they were allied with him. Also with uh, Israel. At the time of, of Ahab, Moab was, was, uh, was still uh, under their control. But at this point, they rebelled. So go back to the, the first one, uh, Jason. Thank you. So when Ahab died, the king of Moab, verse 5, rebelled against the king of Israel. So the um, king Jehovah marched out of Samaria at that time and mustered in all uh, Israel. And he went and sent word to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, the king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to battle against Moab? And he said, this is Jehoshaphat speaking, I will go. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses your horses. And he said, by which way shall we march? And Jehoram said, by the wilderness of Edom. Now this sounds very familiar to Jehoshaphat. This happened to Jehoshaphat before. You remember his, his, um, his, his actually it would be his relative Ahab, because we're getting a little ahead. But he got into a marriage alliance with him. Sometimes what they did, because these two nations, even though they were brothers and they were at civil war essentially, they wanted to stop fighting. So the way that they would do that, and just like anybody else, right? You see this in the in the uh, monarch days of uh, in Europe. Well, how can I make peace with them? Well, if you're in my family, well. Then we can make peace. So he decides that in some form, whether it was his son, whether it's himself, he enters a marriage alliance with that nation. Now, from that, David covered this about two weeks ago. Well, there was another battle that happened. And when you go to battle, well, the more people you bring, generally the odds of you winning are very great. And so he tries to recruit uh, Judah. But at this point, right, because there's a marriage alliance and it gets awkward, he married into the family. However, it was him or his son. He's obligated now to go. And so Jehoshaphat, being a good guy, a good king, for most of his days, he now is allied with this person who is an enemy of God. And now, years later, right? This—it's it's almost like verbatim. Here's a guy going to battle. He doesn't care about the Lord. He doesn't inquire about the Lord Jehoram. But now he's bringing in this godly man Jehoshaphat into this situation. So he decides to go by the way of Edom. Jehoram answers, and he tells him, which way should we go? He even leads the battle plan up to him. Can you imagine that? A godly person leaving up the battle plan to uh, an ungodly person. But there are some um, things that we read about Jehoshaphat, which makes him um, an interesting character. But he says, you know, let's go the way of Edom. So, in our little map here, the kingdom of Moab is right here. See, it actually borders Israel. So if, if Israel was coming out to fight them, why wouldn't they just come right here, right? right over there? He says, you know what? Better yet, let's go this way, up this way, and pick them up because, you know, the more people we have, the better, right? The more numbers we have increases our, our chances of, of uh, a victory, right? This battle was, what, which they did have ranged weapons, but it was very barbaric, right? There were a lot of melee and uh, swords and hand-to-hand fighting, so the more people we have increases our odds. So he says, let's go this way, around through the wilderness of Edom. Now, maybe not been that wide, but it probably was more like that. A lot of times when you have, well, not a lot of times, but the, the success of an army, even today, when they're leaving their base of operations, what is, what, what is it that they need to maintain? A supply line, right? They need to have some kind of supply. Uh, the American Army I uh, found this interesting and read this uh, not too long ago. But you know, they tried to conquer Canada. Well, they actually tried to kick the British out in, in the early 1800s. But the problem that they had was they didn't have a good supply line, and it ended up cutting their invasion uh, force short. So they said, "Hey, let's go this way. Let's pick them up." But what is the issue? They need to have some kind of. They need to have water. They need to have food. They need to have some kind of supplies to maintain that water. I mean, that excuse me, that army. So they're, they're taking a chance, right? They're going up the way of the wilderness, but they may have known that there was rivers out there. Maybe they were following along some kind of water. They needed to be close to the essentials of life, right? Or their army's going to, to die. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah, and it says here the king of Edom, but as we mentioned, it, it, it seems to be the deputy king. It, was not, it might have been an Edomite, but it was somebody that was allied with Judah, and they made a, a circuitous march uh, of seven days. I just mentioned that. So instead of taking, see, Jerusalem, they could have just went right here. They decided to go through through uh, Edom and pick them up as allies. And there was no water for the army and for the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel said, alas, the Lord has called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. And Jehoshaphat said, is there no prophet of the Lord here, though, uh, through whom we may inquire, of the Lord, and and the one uh, and then one of the king of Israel's servants answered, said, Elisha the son of Shaphat is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel, the king of Jehoshaphat, and the king of Edom went down to him, and so. Like, like we just mentioned, as they're traveling, right, their supply line and where they're getting supplies really is crucial to the success of their campaign. They run into a problem, no water. And it's interesting to, to mention here that, um, we'll make an application in a second, but um, Jehoram notices this situation and says, oh my goodness, look at this. First of all, he says later that the Lord's going to give us victory. But now he's saying the Lord has delivered these people up into their hands. So obviously the man was not really in tune with what the Lord was doing. But you read that a lot. And really, I think that can seep into a Christian's life sometimes. You, you, you evaluate a situation and you say, wow, look at what's going on here. The Lord has done this or Lord is showing me that. And you're not evaluating the situation instead You're jumping off of what your feelings and, you know, you hear this term a lot. I go with my gut. You know, I got to go with my heart. I got to follow my heart. Heart's going to take me somewhere. You know, that's the world philosophy. But we read in the Bible that the heart is desperately wicked. I can't even trust my own heart as a believer, as a Christian born again, to lead me in the right direction. Unless it comes under the control of the Holy Spirit, of course. Right. I got to follow God. And so he looks at this situation like, ah, look, God has delivered us over. He brought us all out. Right, He got us together, and now God has delivered us over. So he he assesses his situation in an incorrect manner. But Jehoshaphat brings some of his own... I hope we get to cover it. We're running it quickly out of time. But Jehoshaphat brings in his own experiences with the Lord. He says, no, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Before we go rushing to conclusions, let's go inquire from him first. Maybe he's going to show us a different way. And so sometimes you come into your life, and there's a hard situation, or there's a low point and you incorrectly assess it instead, or go with your gut, as it were, instead you should be going and inquiring of the Lord. What does the Lord have? Now sometimes we get frustrated, right? Because, you know, we prepare ourselves and we, and we almost like we channel the way that we want God to answer in the situation. Right? We get sick, we're out of work, whatever it is, some kind of hard situation says, you know what? I need God to answer this right now. And this is the way I want Him to answer it. But instead... He says, no, I'm going to bring you this way. You know, um, when I was about five years, six ago, six years ago now, um, the Lord, uh, it wasn't expected, but I lost my job. And at the same time, he was teaching me different things and finances and really getting my head screwed on straight. But at, when I left that place, they gave me a, a pretty sizable um, severance cut. Because they were closing down and and whatnot. So I said, oh, this is great. Look at this. The Lord gave me some money to pay off my debt. I could be free. I was like, man, what a burden. If you ever had any debt or anything like that, you know, as a believer, right, the debt of sin is probably the greatest burden that you can live off of. Right. Having your sins forgiven, knowing that you're on your way to heaven and having your future secure. Right. Having a peace that passes all understanding is only what a believer can experience in the Lord Jesus Christ. The world can't offer you anything. They offer you smoke and mirrors, as it were, right? Something to distract your mind. And the next time you need to be another distractor, You need something else to dull the pain or remove yourself from reality. The Lord Jesus Christ offers you peace. But what I'm talking about is, is there was a debt, right? I got myself into a little bit of debt and I had this severance. Now I was like, look, oh, the Lord, answered my prayer. I'm going to use all of this right now and pay that off. And will be like, oh. but you know what? Through the council of different people, um, it actually took two years until I found another source of income through work, that is. And by that time, that severance was all gone. And and you might you might think, well, what in the world? The Lord just gave me all that money to now I can you know, correct all that m- messed up thing that I did. He said, you know, Brian, I'm going to take you a different way. Now, it took years later. Right. But everything was was free and clear. But he took me a different way. And I'm going to show you a different lesson. I'm going to show you more about myself. And I thank God for that. But sometimes you enter that situation. You say, "Wow, this is the way the Lord wants me. Instead of inquiring and asking. Now, that's what ended up happening in this particular case. But in here, he he looks at the situation, says the Lord already did this. But Joseph hospice says, no, let's go inquire of him first. And really, this is the also, there's a couple story arcs here. The other one is Elisha now is on the scene. Remember, Elijah then, in a dramatic fashion, was taken out. On a, it says on a whirlwind sometimes or on a chariot of fire. But in any case, I mean, it was very, if he, I, I, one of those things that you wish you could have saw, whatever happened, right? But he's gone. Elisha then has been anointed as Elijah's replacement, as God's prophet to, to Israel and Judah, really, he interacts But now he's on the scene. There was was something he did before, but really this is now where he's projected on the scene because they didn't really even know who he was. And Jehoshaphat, who was a man of God, didn't even know. But when they heard that he was allied with Elijah and he used to pour water, he used to serve him, if Elijah's going to power on with anybody, it's going to be somebody who's going to be learning from him. It's going to be somebody that the Lord's going to use. And they said, ah, the word of the Lord is with him. So they go down to go talk to him. And Elisha said to the king of Israel, What do I have to do with you? You sometimes have this phrase repeated um, in in the New Testament too. It's like, you know, why, why are you even bothering with me? What do I have to do with you? Like, is there something that you're coming to me for? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. Now, that's a, you know, we can just glance over that statement, but that's significant. Remember, when Ahab had his battle, and he Eli, and he brought Jehoshaphat in. You know what he did? He conjured up his prophets too. And you had a ton of people coming out, and they're all saying the same thing. You know, they're even making objects. They're making like little boars' horns, and they're and they're using it as object lessons. Like, look, the Lord's going to gore these enemies for you, and 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 they're all saying the same thing, right? So, in in some way, you know. Jehoram must have followed that in that situation. And Elisha says, listen, why don't you go to them? Why are you even bothering with you know, coming after the Lord? You, you don't even want to find out what he wants to say to you. But it says here, but he says, the king of Israel said to him, Jehoram says, no, but the Lord has called these kings and to give them the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, as Elisha said, as the Lord and the host lives before whom I stand, were it not that I had regard for Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah? I would neither look at you nor see you. And he said, bring me a musician. And the musician played at the hand, and the hand of the Lord came upon him. And, and we'll stop right there. So he says this. <clears throat> We're going to come back to Jehoshaphat. I, I'd like to look more if we have the time, but I want to try to get through this narrative. So he says, if it wasn't that I had regard for Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat was a man that sought after the Lord. I hope we get to look into him a little bit, but he's an interesting character. But even through the low times and through the times where the Lord rebuked him, he sought after the Lord. And so Elijah says, listen, I'm not, now, I kind of skipped over this. Elisha's base of operations, the same with Elijah. Now, Elijah moved all over the place, but his base of operations was Samaria. What in the world was he doing way down here? It doesn't even say, but he was in that area. So whether the Spirit of the Lord prompted him or... It had to be right. Or somehow he was down in that area where they were. Elijah was uh, Elisha was in that area close enough that they could. Maybe he was in the the traveling party. I don't know. Maybe he was in that caravan. But in any case, he was there. So they inquire the Lord from him. You know, they had a problem. No water. But he says, bring me now. Uh, Elijah Elisha says, bring me now a musician. And when the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he says, thus says the Lord, I will make this dry uh, stream bed full of pools. And the Lord said, you shall not see wind nor rain, but a stream bed shall, fill, shall be filled with water. So you shall not drink. Uh, uh, you shall drink, you and your livestock and your animals, in every fortified city, in every choice city. You shall fell. Excuse me, I, I see it. and this is a light thing in the sight of the Lord, verse eighteen. For he will give the Moabites in your hands, and you shall attack every fortified city, every choice city, and fell every good tree, and stop off every spring of water, and ruin shall come upon each place uh, ruin each good place of land with stones, and the next morning at the time of offering, behold the water shall come from the direction of Edom until the country is was filled with water. So a couple highlights out of this, he says. Remember, they're in this location somewhere down here. I don't. I tried to do a little research. I couldn't get an exact location. I've heard the Valley of 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 Bacra. but where they were, there was no water. Now, I don't know if you caught it, but my translation, which is the ESV English Standard Version, translates um, verse verse 16. My says. And he said, Thus says the Lord, I will make this uh, dry stream bed full of pools. You might have something different. As an imperative command, make this valley, right? Make these trenches, something to that nature. Um, as much as I can tell, it doesn't change the fact that God was going to do something miraculous. I tend to lean this way that the Lord was going to do everything because it doesn't expressly say that the army did anything. They didn't dig anything. But when the opposing army came out, they saw symmetric pools, right? So it almost seems like it was something the Lord did. The way, the amount of water they needed to drink, right? It was a gigantic army. I mean, to think that they had to sit there and dig, being thirsty, the amount of water that they needed, and their animals, it had to be something miraculous. But when the army came out and they saw those pools, they saw, I mean, it couldn't have been something erratic, you know, get out there and dig some trenches so you know, one guy's going this way, the other guy's going that way. It would have been something strange. But in any case, the Lord did a great miracle. But there must have been some kind of dry riverbed that they were following. Perhaps they thought it was going to be full of water, but it wasn't. But the Lord was going to bring in water. And it says this, look, you shall see no wind nor rain. A lot of times when we see the clouds coming in, right, they're coming in with the current. But the Lord says, you're not even going to see that. It's just going to be. I, I don't know how this is going to happen. I mean, the Lord's going to do a miracle. But, you know, a lot of times the the um, the world tackles these miracles in the Bible, especially when you come across the in Egypt, right? The miracles of uh, the frogs and whatnot. And they try to, you know, they try to tell you, oh, it was the season of of low water tide. And that's the way they went across the Red Sea. Man, when I come across something, like this you've got to take it by faith that this is exactly what happened. The Christian needs to. That's how you need to come to Lord when you're an unbeliever. Right. Just believing everything he says. He says that um, if you confess him with your mouth, right, and believe in your heart that Christ has raised him, that you will be saved. And so when I read something like this, I don't need to try to rationalize, oh, maybe it was the uh, wet season and this. No, the Lord brought a miracle in that was they identified that there was no way else that they were going to get water except through divine intervention. So the water comes in from some direction. They have no idea where, but. Not only that, this is so much like the Lord. Now, I'll stop with this, and we're running out of time. I'm sorry. The Lord goes above and beyond what we think what we need. Look at this. They, they, they saw their need. We need water. And they asked the Lord. He says, you know what? This is a light thing for me. I'm going to give you also the victory here. Now, that's something they came to do, but they didn't ask. They didn't inquire about that. Now, Jehoshaphat probably had that in mind. He says, let's inquire, Lord, what should we do? Give us a direction. That's the way we're going. It says, listen, this is a light thing in the sight of the Lord. To bring water out of nowhere, that's nothing. Really, everything is light. There's nothing too difficult for the Lord. He says, I will also give you the Moabites into your hands and you shall attack them and so on. And and what happens is we'll just we'll stop with this is what happens is the water comes the Moabites come in. Now, they, they assembled all their nation, everybody that could fight, kids, adults, older persons, everybody came out to fight. When they came out to go view the battle, they saw these pools, and it must have been a mirage or something, right? The Lord was doing something to them. They said, ah, they saw red. They said, oh, this coalition must have fell apart. So they came out and rushed and said, ah, goody, you know, we get to get all the spoil. But what they ended up finding was that everybody was ready for battle. So they ended up winning the battle. But just to stop with that highlight, that the Lord goes above and beyond what we think we know. And so, you know, as I said before, sometimes we like to direct the Lord in our prayers and say, this is the way I need the Lord. You know, Lord, I need a car. Well, I'm going to start saving my money. That's not a bad thing. But I say ten thousand dollars because here's the car that I really want. And it's ten thousand dollars. Right. If it's almost like I made up the Lord's mind about a situation. This Lord, this is the way I need you to act in this situation. Answer it. No, it should be different, right? Inquiring of the Lord where he wants me to go, what he wants me to do, instead of right, going with my gut, following after my heart, right? Following after the Lord and where he leads, right? Goes above and beyond what we think, what we need. And he's everything that we do need, right? This army was out of water. They identified that, but they didn't even address the situation of who's going to win that battle. God says, you know what? I'm going to give it to you as well as an added bonus, right? And so really that's a lesson for us that, if you do not know Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can come to know Him today. While the time is now, right? Today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. And if you are a believer, right, follow after Him, inquiring after Him, and not uh, going after, well, like uh, Jehoram, going after uh, a system that you would devise in your own heart, or going after, following after your your own heart, right? Essentially, is what he did. Right? He set himself as God instead of following after the true God, and so. I hope that we can, uh, the Lord can use these lessons and these stories of these real individuals that the Holy Spirit has recorded for us for our learning. And so let us close in a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for this time. We just ask you that you would bring us home in safety and that you may um, help us to grow in your word and in the knowledge of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we just pray that for, for all these things in your son's name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.